Welcome to the Corona Apocalypse Simpsons Binge. I'm Ben with Chris and Larnell. We're talking about season five. Season five of The Simpsons. It's another transitional year for the show. We see the exit of the previous showrunners, Al Jean and Mike Rice. Sam Simon left the program and the original writing team largely left between seasons four and five. And we see a new generation of talent kind of taking the reins behind the scenes and especially in the writer's room. David Merkin taking over as showrunner. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I love David Merkin. So works for me. I think he brought his own kind of style to, to The Simpsons and, and just kind of picked up where season four left off with like the zaniness. Definitely see that van continuing. And yeah, I, I get what you're saying, how, how there's a certain vibe to the Merkin years. I was about to say that season five feels like season four, only this time they, they kind of toned down on what made seasons one through three, like the uh, more heartwarming stuff and, and went full into being a cartoon. So, you know, obviously stretching the limits of reality, having things that you can't do on a TV show and playing up the laughs and banter and also a lot of fourth wall breaks too. Like there seems to have been more stuff that was, you know, so for a general or taking a or making a joke of themselves during during the season like from panning some of their being more commercialized to joking about the, the traditions of television and whatnot season five tend uh, tended to be like they were almost laughing at themselves or had to look at themselves to find comedy and that made it really interesting i definitely agree that it, it's pivoting away from the first three seasons and got that kind of sensibility merkin brings kind of like this the cynical sarcastic edge you know kind of that sensibility to the show and i do feel like the show started to become a little a little more self-aware you know i stumbled upon a piece a little while ago like a few days ago comparing simpsons to family guy you know and stating that Family Guy has always been more self-aware than The Simpsons. And yet in this season, you, you definitely see a lot of meta humor. You definitely, see the sh- uh, you definitely see The Simpsons making fun of themselves. It's just that, yeah. you know, as, as always with Family Guy, they turn it up to a 10. So we're starting off with Homer's Barbershop Quartet. It is technically a holdover from the previous season. This is a pretty interesting episode because it's it's the story of the Beatles retold through the Simpsons characters. And yet it's pretty obvious where the story is coming from. And yet they don't beat us over the head with Beatles references so much. I feel like they don't draw so much attention to the fact that, oh, we're, we're doing a Beatles episode here by, you know, instead of doing, say, something like the Ruddles, you know, where the Beatles references are very obvious. Rather than referencing the music itself, they're referencing the story and, you know, what these gentlemen went through. The story that everybody already knows. And it's a chance to retell it with the with the Simpsons characters, you know, through, of all things, barbershop music. It's interesting that season four ended with a cavalcade of stars in Cresty Gets Cancelled, which was something of a contentious episode behind the scenes. And then... Here in Homer's Barbershop Quartet, we have some pretty big gets. A brief brief cameo from David Crosby. The Dapper Dans, a renowned barbershop quartet, providing the singing. And George Harrison, who becoming the second Beatle to appear on the show. Now, granted, Harrison and Crosby's cameos are very brief, and they work very well within the story. Between seasons two and seven, the show got three of the Beatles. The three remaining living Beatles at the time. That is an incredible coup. And it has to be the Simpsons popularity to be able to get all three of them, all three of them to come by and actually, you know, 
play themselves or play a character themselves. And yeah. back to your point about Barjob Court about the uh, about the uh, Simpsons Barjob Court episode. The thing about that that's really interesting is you notice how these aren't really like you know overly obnoxiously overt. Uh, Beatles references more like you know hint hint. So you, know, you, you don't see them doing all all the old Beatles songs. You see them do like you know stuff behind the scenes. So you see all these small little references behind the the Beatles behind the scenes and like you know smaller parts of the discography and their legacy as a group. So you know if if you're like a Beatles diehard fan, you get all the jokes. If not, you realize, hey, this is actually interesting. And then you start looking it up and realize, oh, that's what they were getting at. So it was like a, a bridge of fandom between the Simpsons writers, who obviously are very big Beatles fans, as you can Absolutely. tell. Yeah. And also, it's more of a, of a way for newer fans who are younger to kind of understand why the Beatles were so big or why that brand of pop music was so big where it was. They're taking a story that everybody already knows to some degree, that probably everyone watching at that time, you know, unless they were very young, you know, they're taking a story that, that people were already familiar with and retelling it, but also, you know, switching out the music and switching out the characters. Well, there's the Beatles music and then there's the story of the Beatles. And I feel like at that time, you know, people were already pretty aware of the story of the band. Like, you know, books had been written, documentaries had been made already. And this episode actually aired, you know, sometime before the Beatles anthology. The Beatles anthology was this huge media event that, you know, kind of led to a Beatles resurgence. Actually, we, we can talk a little bit. We can give this a small look into the Beatles anthology uh, thing, why, how, how big it was. It was roughly, well, I think years before, because that, that anthology thing happened in 1995, mm-hmm. um, correct? Yeah, I think it was like 95. Yeah, November 1995. That's when they had the uh, ABC TV tie-in, the CDs, everything. Fun fact in Beatles Anthology connection to The Simpsons uh, comes later on in season seven, wink, wink. It's pretty interesting to see like a retelling of that story and to have like the George Harrison cameo in there. It does have some odd parallels to the Ruddles. You know, the Ruddles have been done way back in the 70s as a parody of the story of the Beatles with some some very uncanny knockoff songs of the Beatles hits. And sure enough, George Harrison kind of gave his blessing to that project as well and made a brief cameo in the Ruddles as well. It's kind of interesting for the Simpsons to go to that well of the Beatles story that's been mined for so much comedy over the years but also kind of put their own spin on it. You know, I think the episode holds up. You know, yeah, it's a good episode. Yeah, it's a funny episode, for yeah. sure. You know. I kind of treat it like almost like a trio of horror. I don't really think, take like, it's a great episode, but you almost don't take it too seriously as more of it, see it more of as like an individual kind of exercise, like the fa- uh, the creators having their fun as, as Beatles fans, you know. A great little behind-the-scenes story is that when George Harrison showed up to record his cameo, things were very awkward between Harrison and the Simpsons people until one of the writers actually asked actually asked Harrison about one of his little known projects yeah a little known side project from the late 60s called right. Wonderwall Music somewhere in Manchester the Gallagher brothers were taking notes but George was actually so flattered that instead of being asked about the Beatles, he's hearing about Wonderwall music, which is something that so many people aren't even aware of. And George was so flattered that that mention of his obscure side project actually got him to open up yeah. and become more friendly. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I remember I heard that, I think, of the audio commentary yeah. as well. Cape Fear, regarded as one of the all-time great episodes, it is the third appearance of Sideshow Bob. 
And it's it is a landmark episode in the show's history because it was the it was kind of the 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 the, the grand finale of the original writing team. Pretty much purposely went entirely over the top. Well, they were delir- it was a, it was a holdover from season four, and they were like delirious just from being up, you know, working. If you can believe it, upwards of like twenty hour days by the end of the, the season. So they were just so tired that they came up with this some of these absurd jokes, you know, and. And obviously, also, it's a parody of Cape Fear movies, which I've actually never seen either. The, like, there was a came out one came out in I think 1960, and then they remade it in 91 with uh, De Niro. Pretty much actually, the plot. It was, it was 92. Oh yeah, it was 91. So this was kind uh, of like a, a almost like a period of a came it was coming off the heels of the very popular yeah. Cape Fear movie, the remake, which you know you know it, it got a lot of positive views, commercial success, and the tune of a. Uh, 182.3 million in the box office against a night 35 dollar dollar budget and it was a, it was an Oscar and Golden Globe nominee for best actor and best supporting actress so it was you know a pretty big deal at that time yeah so Simpsons I think you know they were lucky to be able to to have a movie that just came out a few years before that they were able to parody that was still fresh in everyone's mind and they made it funny and they made it smart. And also, it became legendary because of uh, one little scene where Sideshow Bob hits a rake. And then another one. And then another one. And another one. The writers have described that as essentially, it's like, okay, it's funny, and then it stops being funny, and then they keep doing it, and then it becomes funny again, because it's so absurd how many times. I think I counted, I think, 10 times. If you count, or there's one later, so it might have been nine times in a row that he steps on the rake, and it's essentially the same thing over and over again. Again, like, just completely absurd. A style of humor, in a lot of ways, you could say that is that what, like, Family Guy would later make their, like, main style of humor, that, that sort of just completely completely absurd over the top and like even like redundant in a way just style of humor that's that's the thing with family guy it always tends to be more based on uh hey remember this pop culture reference? yeah cut away that this is less cut away this is more of a straight homage even including a parody a parody opening scene right no i meant more with like the kind of like the rake joke being more like oh. family guy with that kind of yeah exactly just the the, the same like noise you know and he steps on the rake it's the same thing over and over again that that is the joke essentially that they, you know in a way it's almost the joke is even the fact that the creators they're doing this on the show and, and we're we're still watching it you know what I mean I mean everything and then also they just twist with the universe of what you can can be accepted in a Simpsons universe which I mean they did that before in season four but but like Sideshow Bob being under the car he's He's in the street and the elephant steps over his head like he should be killed and everything. Stuff you wouldn't have seen in previous seasons. They did introduce that in season four, though. But And again, this is a season four holdover. Kind of see it as season four on crack, if you will. Yeah. Season four about to crash. I mean, just, yeah, even like the, the Homer jumping into, the, or the Homer Thompson stuff. I mean, it's just it's just really gag after gag. You know, and, and the story itself is actually really dark, too, of course. Like, Sideshow Bob really wants to kill Bart. But, you know, it's, 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 it's the Simpsons and, and Tony. Tonally, it, it you know it's, it's hilarious, but but it is a kind of a dark it is a dark story, and yeah, I've never seen Cape Fear, but I, I kind of want to see it or the, or the original, but yeah, I mean, because but the thing is, you don't you don't have to even see you know you don't have to see it to enjoy the episode. You know, I definitely see Cape Fear as kind of a quintessential sideshow Bob episode, a big turning yeah. point episode for that character. You know, and it's very different in format and in tone from the previous sideshow Bob episodes, which had 
taking on kind of this mystery angle. I feel like this is the episode where you start to see Bob versus Bart as kind of the Simpsons version of Coyote versus Roadrunner to the degree of the whole episode just being Bob failing and Bob getting hurt. Well, also too, since there isn't that mystery angle and we know from the get-go that what his intentions are, they can play up the Sideshow Bob character more. Now he can be almost what he really is as opposed to trying to fool the audience or fool the other characters in the show. They're playing up that he is this evil dude, you know, and we get this experience that the whole episode. And it really leans into just Bob as a total maniac. And exactly. yeah, like, and that just plays up the zaniness of this episode and just the insanity of this episode. Yeah, I mean, for the record, I'll say too, that this is my favorite episode of The Simpsons, this period. Yeah, I love this one. I believe Vulture.com also ranked it as number one. In their list. Yeah, it comes up a lot and a lot of time. It makes a lot of people's lists, definitely. I feel like there's... There's like a holy trinity of episodes written by the original team coming between seasons four and five of, say, Monorail, Last Exit, and then Cape Fear. And then with some other candidates for, you know, greatest episodes of all time falling between, you know, those three and then, you know, season eight. Yeah, I feel like we're really at the mountaintop here. This is really where the show just got like unbelievably good. And it was unbelievably popular. So you had everything going for it at that time. Mm-hmm. A $10 million marketing machine, huge, uh, you know, great episodes to get coming in almost, every, you know, almost all the time. And the show is still having its soul, its soul despite having a total turnover writing staff from season to season, from season four to season five. And, and speaking of turnover, let's talk about the next episode. Homer goes to college. Classic. One of the last writing jobs for Conan O'Brien for you yep. to some show on some network. Now, Conan's name does come up a lot throughout this season as does you know al gene and mike rice which implies that even though they weren't physically present perhaps they had developed some of the ideas used in the episodes or or whatnot you know there's a lot of producer credits for conan this season and a lot of producer credits for like gene and rice and we discussed i think we did discuss kind of uh, the sam simon deal of you know his exit and the massive payout that his developed by credit got him you know even like he was off the show for far longer than he was on the show i mean to this day even after his death they very rightfully credit him as one of the key figures in the development of the show sam simon had left the building and you know as we've stated like a lot of a lot of the original writing team also exited the simpsons due to burnout or looking to pursue something different so here we have a very conan episode conan is credited as coming up with the main story of the episode this is you know obviously peak coin because conan is from all these zingers and, and jokes and uh you know sight gags at you it's you know it's obviously his work and it works really well because it's funny you, from you know from trying to bribe a nuclear inspector with with various prizes or the more nefarious the box the box and then you know obviously some of the um you know the fact that it's kind of like a, a half and a halfway homage to uh, animal house in ways but also it's updated for today it's cool he's actually so it's kind of like it's almost conflicting with what homer saw with the uh Homer Simpson fought we you think college and stuff like except in Animal House isn't the way college is. 
Yeah, they said on the audio commentary, some of the writers and like Conan, that they wanted the premise to be like Homer. His idea of college was not even just like Animal House, but rather like Animal House knockoffs, like crappy kind of college movies. And so, you know, as you can see in the episode, even when he when he there was he's on the couch watching some like TV sh- this move this movie I forget what it's called, and the, you know they show that crusty old dean, and that's Homer's the dean. You know, we got to get him. We got to do a prank or whatever. And then, as you said, Arnell. It's really funny that the dean actually is this like chill guy, you know, that wants to relate to the students and everything. And then exactly like Homer then and the, the, the nerds in the in the episode, or he rather he, he gets them kicked off campus and everything. And it's just this like kind of crazy premise for their show that you can only kind of picture Conan O'Brien com- coming up with. It's just a ridiculous show, but it, it works really well. Again, also like we were saying, Merkin era kind of like there's that cynical sort of angle. And it's definitely not like if this had been a few seasons earlier, you would have had probably a completely different story of like Homer going, having to go back to college. There's no like emotional tone to this. You know, there's no, you know, even if whatever the conflict is in the story, the tension is so much lower than than what the humor, the humor really takes front and center. You know what I mean? Even the nerds being kicked off campus, it's it's just kind of, it's just, you know, it's all fun though. You don't, you know, you don't really like ever take it too seriously. Yeah. It's all played for laughs. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially how to get kicked out of campus. Yeah. It's like, guys, I'm sorry. That that pig had that, <laughs> that pig had pretty big friends. The I, cook. It's really good though. I I I tend to like that episode a lot. And I haven't watched it uh, too many years, or you know, as as much as I would. But it's just like it's really well put together. Yeah, it's one of my favorites from the season, actually. It's a great episode. All right, Rosebud. Another Simpsons episode tends to be a very long format parody of a of a work. We, you know, the season we had a long form parody of Cape Fear, and now we have a long form parody of another iconic movie, Citizen Kane. Only this is abridged, essentially. Starts like Citizen Kane, but it keeps on going onward. Even has a bizarre and uh, quick and hilarious moment where the Ramones show up. Go to hell, you old bastard. Yeah. This is one of my favorite episodes in the season and the series as a whole. Yeah, it's, it's a great... It gives you a good background of Mr. Burns that I don't think we've ever... We've seen some of his background, but never quite like this. And I, I just love the concept, too. I mean, again, obviously, again, Citizen Kane parody, but just giving a little bit more depth of Burns with... Like, he has all the money in the world, but what matters the most to him is, is his bear. You know, this stuffed animal from when he was a kid. I mean, all the laughs, all the... Burns taking away the beer and TV from Springfield. Uh, of course, the Ramones. I'm a huge Ramones fan, so I always love that. Whenever it's my birthday or some of my friends' birthdays, I just love quoting the Ramones' birthday song from Mr. Burns. And like you guys said, the go to hell, you old bastard. Yeah, great, great episode over, overall. It's really solid. And I mean, get, it shows that Mr. Burns isn't all that bad. Well, not all that bad, because eventually he hit, you know, it's hit heart at the end. But it's an entertaining, long form look at Mr. Burns' character. So we, we get the you know, obviously every season tends to be a Mr. Burns centric episode, but this one is like, you know, almost, I'd say 70% Marty Burns, 40% everyone else in a way. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a review online where they were saying Burn, Burns and Smithers, you know, how that, that little section where, where Burns comes into the house and he goes, yes. He said, I'd watch a Burns and Smithers sitcom. And I, I could kind of, I could actually picture that. Like just Burns and like like a spinoff series, just Burns and Smithers. Yeah, I mean, that would be kind of like, Picking on the brain was in a way in the naive uh, servant and the, the low the low servant and the uh, tyrannical genius Burns. What are we gonna do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Smithers. 
trying to take over the world. Horror. Exactly. I, I could see that. So the next episode, Trios of Horror 4. Yep. Number four. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot. I actually, I feel like I, I prefer the last one over this one, but this was still really good. There's um a lot of great, I mean, yeah, it's all it's all fun to see, like Homer selling his soul to the Devil Flanders, which by the way, Devil Flanders unto itself is is really cool. Because it, it's just like, it's so hilarious. Of all the people you expect to be multiple, right. like, multiple no, Ned yeah. Flanders of all people, and it works. And you also get Lionel Hutz in here. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. That episode's really good. Then you have the uh, Twilight Zone parody terror at five and a half feet and including the fall segment in the twilight zone the movie the infamous twilight zone movie yeah and then you have see bart simpson's dracula which i like that one best probably that's probably my least favorite from these three from this episode but yeah i think the thing is that they were trying to do a dracula parody but the thing is there's almost too much to fit in to the episodes and this we feel it's, yeah. it's like it's squash rushing at so many points in. It's still good though. It's still pretty funny. Like my favorite, one of my favorite lines is, "I loved the line as a kid when he Homer like jabs the axe into uh, Mister Burns, and then Lisa goes, yeah, that's his crutch.' He's like, "Oh, whoops! <laughs> I was supposed to go into his height." Marge on the lamb. Oh. Uh, you can say it's, an, it, it's it's a nice episode. Well, you got both Lyle Hutz and Troy McClure in the same episode. I was waiting for Ben to say, this episode isn't about nice. And then just blast, welcome to the jungle. Or I should say, sunshine, lollipop, and rainbows. Wrong song, sorry. Nerd! Nerd! (laughs) I kid, I kid. I only tease people I like. Yeah, Marge on the Lamb. I I really like this one, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you get the return of Ruth Powers. You know, a, a character that we didn't, that we didn't really see again after this. No, I know. Actually, Ruth Powers does return. That's true. Does return, you know, probably a decade or so later. Yeah, you're right. I forget what year it is, but didn't she do like the bodybuilding thing with Marge or something? Uh, Strong Arms of the Mar, 2003. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So not for not for a long time after this, because this episode's from '93. So yeah, decade later. Yeah. Even Merkin said. you know, you know, they always loved working with Pamela Reed. The, they yeah. always, you know, the team always thought that Pamela Reed did a great job voicing Ruth Powers. And, um, you know, even Merkin kind of wonders why they didn't use her more, you know? Yeah. Why they didn't use the character more. Um, yeah. I, that's a surprise to me because I, I was thinking that they would, you know, at least try and get, you know, maybe Ruth Powers more episodes here and there or maybe more appearances of, of the of Powers family. But, you know, because they all match so well. So, yeah. But I guess maybe just schedules just didn't work out. Maybe the, the writers just, you know, the writers being in such upheaval at the time may have led to these type of episodes being, you know, not pitched or ran or even, you know, conceptualized at times. So, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, all, it's almost like it's almost like the discussion we had about Herb Powell, you know, like the what if, what if her Powell kept coming back after season yeah. three. And yet, you know, kind of thinking about that, I, I have a hard time seeing how her Powell would fit into what the show became after season three. You know, I feel like her Powell is, is almost yeah. those kinds of stories and those episodes sure. that he was in. I, I, I feel like those episodes could only exist in seasons two and three, you know, it, to some degree. Yeah, that's true. You know, also because the way the Herb Powell's last appearance ended, it was like a happy ending. There's no really need for him to come back. 
That's true. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to make a, a you know a joke at the expense of the uh, auto industry falling on uh, its butt again, then you know you could do that. But you know, that's probably not going to be as sharp as it would be now. So. I mean, in twenty twenty, that hits harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be actually all right. This is kind of going to be a side point, and I don't mean to throw anything off, but. You know, so obviously everyone listening right now knows that you know 2020 is kind of part stop towards any and all entertainment things. So I'm curious, and my curiosity right now is, do you think do you think you know when seasons when seasons come back for next season, are we gonna have a full season, a half season, or almost no season at all? It's tough to say. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's really it's really tough to say what what's um how to proceed you know i i feel like if i i do feel like animated programs have a better shot than live action programs for yeah you know um yeah due to their nature with animated shows in general the problem is animated shows take a long time to produce like you know the because you know it's a whole it's a team thing it's true it's a, yeah. it's a script the episode you know at, you know send the animatronics have the animators do it and then you have the writer you know after write the episodes and people come in, they, they, they do the episodes and Simpsons who, who tend to do guests all the time, they would have to have guests come in and out and you have to work around the schedule. So you can imagine, you know, trying to probably squeeze in 22 or 23 episodes, maybe a harder task than normal, but you know, I assume probably the fact probably the, they tend to produce these shows, like I think probably, how do I say, maybe, like nine months in advance or six to nine months in advance rare. So if anything, there's probably a good shot. Some of these episodes may have been made. Yeah. You know, I almost envision, I almost envision, um, you know, kind of a more lo-fi homemade approach to the show. I think that could be a really interesting experiment to see, to see the show do, to see, to see the show try to, you know, kind of go lo-fi with their production method, even if it was just for one episode. Um, you know, I, I think it could be really interesting to see what it, to, you know, piece together an episode with, you know, the, the, the voice actors working from home or, um, you, you know, just like really more limited animation, you know, produced by a skeleton crew. Um, you know, uh, w- will they go that route? I, who's to say you know um there there's a lot of there's certainly a lot of uncertainty over that you know because i mean hollywood's been pretty much put on hold at this yeah. time and you know yeah sorry i didn't mean to, 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 to sidetrack it just was on my mind the moment but let's get back to the episodes we were, we were talking about yeah well we're talking about marge on the lamb um which is kind of a a Thelma and Louise homage of yeah. sorts, you know. Um, mm. Ruth Powers it has stolen her ex-husband's car, and unlucky Marge unwittingly gets inside. Um, you know, this is a. I see this as a great Marge episode. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think it's, I think it's a story that really holds up. I think the jokes yeah. really hold up, for sure. Um, and we get to see a little more of Lionel Hutz, who who yeah. moonlights as the babysitter for the kids. Yeah, aka Miguel Sh- Miguel Sanchez. Miguel Sanchez. Yeah. So it's uh, 
it's pretty interesting to see another side of that character. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, you know, this this is an episode I really enjoy. And uh, you know, I, I, I do love the sunshine lollipops and rainbows joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um Bart's inner child. The return of A Brooks. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, this is it. This is my all right, kind of a very interesting interesting Ed Turner note. This is the first episode of Simpsons I ever watched. Oh yeah, you said back that back in yeah. the year two thousand. So, you know, I'll go quick. I was in sixth grade. I had almost no experience of any shows that were like above the TV Y7 or TV G ratings. Yeah, a bit of a, how do I say this? Uh, a bit of a media restrictive household. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of watching the Simpsons episode was kind of like a mild taboo that my parents were kind of like, eh, we're not sure about this. Maybe some episodes you should or shouldn't watch. Because, you know, it was, I was like, 12 or 13-ish at the time. So, uh, you know, this is the first episode I watched on on WFXT back when they were running sick on, you know, we were on uh, every night at, 7, at 7.30. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, you know, being able to watch this episode again, and I, I'm thinking, well, this was a pretty good first episode, but at the same time, I'm feeling uh, this wasn't the best episode. I mean, it, it had yeah. some good points. Uh, you know, A. Brooks, as always, is, you know, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, you know, one of the best at the best to ever do it. Yeah. Longtime collaborator of James L. Brooks. Um, right. Renowned uh, comedian and actor and comic actor. Um, uh, known for known for improvising lines that quite often make their way into the production he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a pretty interesting visit to Springfield from a self-help guru, you know, and kind of watching the town devolve into chaos because of it. (laughs) You know, it's another, I, I feel like it's something of a callback to monorail, you know, an episode where this, this stranger comes into town and completely, turn Springfield upside down <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, um, it's, uh, it has its moments, but I don't, yeah, this one doesn't do as much for me. Um, I think the premise is better than the, like the show itself. I think. Interesting. Um, yeah, it just doesn't seem to go in this, you know, yeah, like I get it kind of that art essentially, that everyone tries to be more like Bart and Bart then loses his identity and town kind of goes crazy as a result. But it, it just doesn't seem to, I don't know. There isn't as much really to it for me more than that. I don't, there's some good jokes in there. Yeah, I feel and, like- and Albert Brooks was good too. Yeah, yeah. I think Albert Brooks was good. But the thing is he's, but then he's out of it after that. Yeah, well, he, he just vanishes off the face of the earth after his conference. So you yeah. don't see a, res, a resolution to, the, to his arc or, or what he did or you know, some of the things he, he, some of the things he suggested. So, yeah. I mean, it was really funny because he had a lot of good moments. Like one of the bad moments is grabbing off all of this order, all the uh, feel-good ramble disorders. Uncontrollable falling down. Chronic nagging. 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 Yeah. TV does that sometimes. Nagging. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then you know, uh, and then you have like, some of the more hilarious moments, like uh, Keith Brockman's, uh, you know, Keith Brockman saying, "People now feel able to express themselves and say they say they feel." And this important thing is about bleeping time. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, and, for what it's worth. Yeah. Sorry. And then there was there was the uh, fact that you have a very small. And then you have you start seeing the Simpsons uh, cameo method began yeah. began to uh, take hold with James Brown being in and out in the space of of, of two minutes. Yeah, performing his you know don't doing some signature saying something funny and then oh check clip well I'm out hey <laughs> yeah yeah well for what it's worth I I think this episode does kind of play into. Uh, a couple things that will become recurring themes of the show. You know, I, I, I do feel like this is one of those meta self-aware episodes in, in season five, you know, kind of a meta episode to the degree of, you know, what if everyone in Springfield suddenly started acting like Bart, you know, um, and that, you know, what these, these kind of what if episodes that deconstruct the way that the show works or deconstruct the universe and then everything kind of goes back to normal at the end, um, you know, which would become this exaggerated running joke in the show of, you know, things go through a massive change in Springfield, but then somehow by episode's end, everything somehow ends up as the same. You know, Springfield always returns to, 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 uh, to the status quo, um, which would, you know, definitely become a, a theme that the show would lean on you know, and the the show has become you know kind of resistant to change because of that. You know, yeah. So, Boy Scouts in the Hood. Oh yeah, this one. Uh, this is you know this is a pretty you know not the exact Boy Scouts, but more of a an organization that is similar to the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, the junior campers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a, uh, I love the the song at the Springfield Springfield or whatever it's called that Barton Milhouse sang. I think is one of their their best numbers. You know, one yeah. of the best music numbers in the show. Springfield, 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 New York, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is that a way, man? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and again, you get the classic Merkin era season five kind of stuff sprinkled in there with like, like the the all the stuff with the knife, kind of like the guy, you know, the, he t- Dr. Hibbert takes out some guy's knife on the street, and then it's like exploding. And he throws it off, and it, and it just explodes. It's just stuff like that. I think. You know, it's it's just very much season five. Um, you know, funny funny episode too. A good good Bard and Homer story. Yeah. Um, you know, in the Homer's kind of a goof, but uh, in the end, he he's able to find this crusty burger that's um, you know, it's off in this oil rig, and he saves the day. And then, um, yeah, again. Another one where it's it's like more of a fun episode than anything else. Not really doesn't like tug at the heartstrings or anything like that. No, no, not at all. It, it's just yeah. like it's just fun for the sake of being fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, also you get to see how Hans Molman and Mo have a knife fight. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Molman loses because, you know, this is Molman we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. The curse, the Kenny, the pro, the prototype of Kenny, in a way. Yeah. Except um, not as obvious. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. 